Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, we are oh so close to the trade deadline, just hours away, recording the evening before on Wednesday, February 8th. And since our last episode, the Bulls went three and two. Drew, you nailed this prediction that the Bulls would win the middle three games on the five-game stretch against the Hornets, Blazers, and Spurs but lose the first game against the Clippers and the final game of the set against the Grizzlies on the road. Drew, congratulations, man. Uh, it feels very hollow, but I, <laughs> I, I, I guess thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, we're so used to the roller coaster at this point. Let's just have fun with, with getting predictions right. So yes, <laughs> I, I nailed one stretch. You nailed this one here perfectly. I had predicted actually almost – opposite that they would beat the Clippers beat the Grizzlies and win one of those games because this is how the Bulls have been playing up to those good opponents but you got this one right and now they sit at 26 and 28 as we sit here just one night before the trade deadline before we let our guest in Elias Schuster from Bleacher Nation Bulls to talk about the deadline Drew just want to get your thoughts just real quick on that stretch I think um man you know overall if you look at these five games as a whole, I think a lot of us would look at this three and two record and, and be okay with it. Um, especially kind of when we were looking at the, the stretch going into it, I thought that they had an opportunity to steal that game last night against the Grizzlies, even with DeMar DeRozan being out. But, you know, it, it's, it's funny with this Bulls team. They just, it seemed to find new ways to lose games. Um, <laughs> almost every time out, you know, with Zach Levine shooting so poorly from the line last night with them scoring all of 14 points in the first and fourth quarters, just, you know, opportunity there for them to, to steal the game and get their first four game winning streak of the season. And, you know, we're stuck back, you know, trying to have to set up another win streak <laughs> on Thursday against the, the Brooklyn Nets and, Cam Thomas, who was going absolutely insane, insane the last three games, scoring 40 plus points or more, you know. I mean, he's he's living his best life right now on the court. And, <laughs> you know, the Bulls keep eluding that ever so beautiful fourth game in a row and a winning streak this year. It's it's crazy to me, but it's been the story all year, man. And now you kind of wonder as we head into the deadline tomorrow, where are Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley's heads right now? Are they looking to retool? Are they looking to to tear this thing down? Are they looking to just make some small tweaks around the margins? It's the question every Bulls fan wants to know. And a lot of reports are out there that you know most of this is going to stay status quo. I know one thing that we've seen with this front office. Expect the unexpected. We thought they would be quiet at the 21 deadline. They made moves. When we thought they would just make a, a simple point guard move in the off season of 2021, they went and, and made some splash signings with Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso. And then when we thought they might be have an active off season this past summer, they were quiet. So expect the unexpected. We'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow during the trade deadline. I can't wait to talk about it. And Drew, we have a, a very special guest with us, as I hinted to earlier. Joining us from Bleacher Nation Bulls and one of my favorite guests who has been on the podcast a few times before, Elias Schuster. Elias, how's it going, man? It's been a while. It has been a while. Thank you so much for having me on. That was such a kind introduction. Uh, this is an exciting time of year, and I, I couldn't be happier to be anywhere else than on the Rebuildable podcast talking about it. So thank you. I always love a good plug, Drew. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be Talking Bulls with you, Elias. Been following you for a while now. And, um, you know, I look to your work and, and your writing and your opinion. So thank you for being with us. For sure. No, thank you. That that means a lot. Thank you so much. You guys do a, a great job here. You guys are both a fun follow on Twitter. And the podcast has always been fun to come on. So, um, you know, I think you guys, you always have good conversations. So I'm always happy to be a part of it. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So we sent out a tweet from the Rebuildable podcast um, account in reference to kind of a list that popped up in my head regarding the Bulls and this roster and 
if the Bulls were to make some moves, whether they be on a grand scale or more of the marginal variety, which players are more expendable than the next? And the whole premise was built on if this team is going to, you know, really kind of cling to trying to win and be its best its best self uh, moving on in the season. And I think we all, all three of us, as well as Salim Sudawala of Bulls Gold, kind of took a different kind of view of the list, which I thought was pretty cool. Right. Now, I looked at it, like I said, more so in terms of where I think Acme's head is, where it's about winning and getting the most juice out of this season as you can possibly get. So in my mind, and I'll just keep it to the rotational players, I had Javante Green, Goran Dragic, Andre Drummond, Derek Jones Jr., Ayo Desumu, Kobe White, Alex Caruso, Patrick Williams, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, and DeMar DeRozan as my least expendable player. Um, reason being, and I think a good case kind of presented itself last night and has presented itself at different times during this season where the Bulls really, really, really lack a sense of an identity when DeMar is not on that court with them. And I think he's their surest ball handler. You know, he's some he's a guy that they can go to when they're in a jam. Unfortunately, it kind of bites him in the butt sometimes because I think they've gotten accustomed to playing with him so much that at times the offense gets a little stagnant. And I know a lot of people, a lot of Bulls fans, you know, have something to say about that. And they wish that this team wasn't as dependent on him as they are. But I believe that if this team is really going to try to push for something that he is the most, or I'm sorry, he is the least expendable player on this team. If, if for nothing else, just the fact that he is the surest ball handler, probably the second surest decision maker behind Nikola Vucevic, and he can get them a bucket um, when they need it in the, in the half court, which they seem to struggle, particularly when he's off the court. Can you tell us a little bit about your list and, and what went into it for you? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think what you say is completely valid, right? Like at the end of the day, you we're talking about a player in DeMar DeRozan who wins you the most ball games, right? Like if we're looking at a win share, which isn't a huge stat in the NBA, it technically exists. It's more of a big deal in like baseball and things like that. But like win share wise, he probably gives you the most wins at the end of the at the end of the year. So he in that sense, I could totally understand putting him as your most expendable. Now, the way I was kind of looking at this. And, and, and I've done this experiment in the past with um, this front office. I, I looked at it. Uh, I, I kind of wrote a post earlier this year, um, last month, kind of at the end of the month, talking about what I thought the front office would view as their most expendable. And so we can kind of get into that too. But for me, like what I view as the most expendable, because my idea of what this team should do if they want to keep staying competitive is they still have to take a step back to be able to maintain some level of competition over the next couple of years. Like this season, I think is kind of a lost cause. It, it can be a little bit beneficial if you make the playoffs and maybe, you know, you make a first round, whatever, like you get young guys experience, but I look at this year as like, and I, and, and I think, you know, we talked about this kind of at the beginning of the podcast, like the, the chances of them doing stuff is low. I'm frustrated by that because I think they should maybe shuffle the pieces around and take a step backwards so they can add some assets and and retool for next year. But having said that, I'll jump to kind of my list of what I think the most expendable pieces on this roster are is the fir- number one for me, the, the player who I think is most likely to be traded and the most likely in the eyes of the front office to be traded would be Andre Drummond. I just think at the end of the day, he had fallen out of the rotation. Um, He's technically, I mean, he's under contract next year, but it's a player option. So I think it's about $3.6 million, if if, if I'm correct, uh, next season. And there's a chance that he turns that down and he wants to seek out opportunities elsewhere. Uh, He can get, you know, if he wants to be on a contending team, whatever. And there's, there's, this is a pretty center hungry market right now. It's point guards and centers are like the big names on the market right now. So I really do think there's a possibility where drumming could, could get you something of value. What exactly that looks like. I don't know. I've seen the idea of like trading him back to the 76ers where he actually kind of first became this idea of a good backup center was with the 76ers behind Embiid. Maybe you train him back there and you get back like Korkmaz and 
I don't know, like a like another bench guy like Paul Reed. I think they have. I forgot who threw that out there, but that's been out there. I've seen as like an idea of a trade, and I think that's fine. But I had Drummond first, and then I had Dragic. Similar thing. Uh, Dragic's only under contract this year. You know, if a, if a contending team wants them, you, it's an easy trade for me if they're going to give you back some sort of asset. After that, I had Javante Green. As much as I love Javante Green, not under contract next season and uh, injured right now. So if he was to be a part of a deal, you know, so be it. Derek Jones Jr. is next. Uh, then Kobe White. I, I think Kobe White also has, um, you know, expendable and most likely to be traded are two different things. I think Kobe White probably is second most likely to be traded behind Drummond just because of his contract situation. The Bulls haven't necessarily shown um, a desire to resign him. However, he's had a strong year uh, thus far. He's looked better as a two-way player. His defense has definitely improved. Uh, his ball handling obviously has been a point of um, topic between kind of the Bulls community and and honestly league wide people have noticed improvements from him as a ball handler. So maybe a little less likely now, but I still think contract wise it makes sense for him to be uh, traded. So just to recap, that's Drummond, Dragic, Green, Jones, White as the most likely in my eyes. But then it kind of drops it here, and I see Nikola Vucevic right there. Uh, Vucevic again contract situation. You have to think about this trio. I have to imagine we have not heard, and maybe we'll get into this. We haven't heard many rumors, right, about this Bulls team, but I refuse to believe there haven't been conversations about Vucevic behind the scenes just because of his contract. I'm sure there's been feelers point out or put out of some kind, and uh, I could see Vucevic, you know, being a, a surprise trade candidate tomorrow if, if it were to happen. Do I think it's likely? No, I'd still give it only like a 20-30% chance, but if we're talking about who could be a surprise, still probably Vucevic. So Vucevic, Caruso, after that, we know there's been a lot of people calling about Caruso. Maybe someone gives like a holy crap deal. Then uh, then actually I have DeMar. And the only reason I have DeMar after that is because, and I have him ahead of guys like Patrick William and Ayo DeSumo, is again, because of the contract situation, he's going to want an extension this season. Uh, he can get you a ton in return. Out of anyone on this roster, maybe even more than Levine, if you're, if you're talking to the right team, he can get you more because he's proven to be, you know, reliable in the clutch. Everything you said is a reason that I think he technically is more expendable because of the assets he can get you in return. Maybe you can use those assets to bulk up the roster and make it even better than we see right now, just because it's more well-rounded. After that, Io and Pat come uh, into the picture. Uh, two young guys I think the team should continue to build around, and I think they plan to do that. Um, I think you need young assets on your team, so you might as well keep it that way. And then Levine, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people have been hating on Levine, but I don't think, I think his value is honestly lower than it's been in a while right now. So, and, and we know he can get it back up, especially if this team were to take a step back, like Levine's going to go back to being like looking incredible because he's the only one scoring the basketball and then his value is going to go higher up. So he's still the least expendable to me because I think his value is not as high as it definitely could be moving forward. So hopefully that wasn't too long uh, of going through my list, but that's my list right now. And, uh, and yeah, so the, the, there we have it. Well, it's an interesting list too, because we, we kind of see some similar things here, Elias. Um, mm -hmm. Like I took a more long-term view, like Drew was saying. And I was also though trying to think like in the moment of where we're kind of hearing could be on the move and, and the likelihood of the big three, not really being moved. So I kind of, looked at it through that lens, but my list was, uh, and just kind of looking at the core pieces currently getting minutes on the roster, right? Mine was Drummond, Dragic, Green, Jones Jr., Kobe White, and then I kept wavering back and forth between Io DeSumo and Alex Caruso. And I don't know what it was, but I, like, I think right before I, I sent the list out, I think I, at first I texted it to Drew and then I, I tweeted out and before I, I sent it to Drew, um, I originally had had Caruso before DeSumo. And I, I don't know why, like last minute, I just like, ah, would it actually happen? No, probably not. Um, so I flip flopped it. One thing that I, I put Nikola Vucevic second to last and part of me feels like there's a, a slight, 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 slight chance that if anybody's going to get moved of the big three, it's DeMar DeRozan over Nikola Vucevic. I just have okay. a feeling that they want to see if this is going to work as much as possible. You know, given how much they moved to get Nikola Vucevic, it just feels like there could be a reality where he's still in the Bulls 
plan somewhere. And, and Drew and I kind of talked about this the last episode that you know, is it possible that if let's say they move somebody like DeMar DeRozan and you roll with Zach, Vooch, P. Will, and whoever else you acquire, that you might be able to kind of unclog some redundancy and maybe he's back into the Bulls' plans even next season. I know that's kind of crazy to think about, but you see how valuable he's actually been this season when he is getting touches and he is kind of helping the offense flow a little more seamlessly. So I don't know. I Maybe I'm like one of the last people in the world that's still kind of holding out some hope for Vooch, but um, I don't know. I, I kind of had him second to last on the least or the most expendable list, right. which might be shocking. No, I don't. And, and I want to say like, I, I have been a Vooch fan ever since they've traded for him. And I actually was a Vooch fan before they even traded for him. He was someone I always enjoyed watching and I thought he was kind of an underrated player in the league. And so I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I think maybe we're, we're looking at the, you know, we're just looking at these, the, the idea of what's expendable a little bit differently. It, it, to me, it's, I'm looking at considering things about, you know, contract and, and age and all that stuff as playing a role, but I don't at all disagree in the idea that, you know, Vooch can still be a piece moving forward. Like if they don't trade him tomorrow, I would say there's about, I don't know what a 70% chance that he's actually re-signed to a deal. And if, if it's not that he's probably signed and traded, but I would assume if they do not trade him, that they are likely going to re-sign him. And after this season, I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. If it's, particularly if they can get him on a, a decent, you know, a decent contract, like knock on wood, that's the goal that, that they can. But if DeRozan is taken out of the picture, let's say, and, and I do also love, uh, love DeMar. I love all these players individually. It's the idea of them together, right? Where, where, where there's an issue, but uh, with Vucevic, I actually think a Levine Vucevic two man combination is still pretty intriguing. And that's what it was originally. You know, when they first traded for Vucevic, it was this idea of this two-man game, and we kind of saw it over that, that you know, it was a brief stint, but that first year before they made all the other big moves and they did fail to make the play-in tournament. But Zach and, and Vooch had this kind of fun and elegant two-man game, and we've seen that come to life a little bit when DeMar has had to sit out the few times that he's had to sit out this year. I mean, we remember the Warriors game, and, and, and honestly, the, the game last night, we saw um, Vooch get into a rhythm a lot easier. So I don't disagree with his idea that he can still be a valuable piece uh, in a competitive Bulls team by any means. I think it's just the idea of, you know, how competitive can that team be at the end of the day and whether or not this team, you know, whether or not they sh- they, they view him as maybe like, okay, because I still think maybe there's a world where Levine and DeMar are also, you know, if they if you get a more defensive minded center a shot blocker like there's a world where those two work out as well so uh i don't know it's it's definitely complicated it it depends on like are they going to blow it up are they going to try to keep a couple of the pieces like it's uh it's an interesting time but i i do think you holding out hope for vucevic is not wrong like he's and this year is showing why right he's still showing why he could be a very valuable player and why he honestly should be a little bit more involved than he has been on the topic of, of Vucevic and, and centers around the league, we just saw the Indiana Pacers extend uh, Miles Turner. I believe it was a two-year, $58 million contract extension. How do you see that in terms of what Vucevic may be looking for uh, this offseason, if it gets that far? I, I shouldn't even say the offseason, but in terms of what he's looking at in terms of where the Bulls might be going with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because I think with uh, with Vucevic's situation, and I think he commented on this recently, um, I believe Joe Kelly at the Sun-Times wrote uh, a post that included some, some thoughts on Vucevic on his contract situation. And he didn't compare himself to Miles Turner. And I don't think we necessarily should, only because Turner's a lot younger. Um, you know, his, his situation is definitely a little bit different with Indiana. Uh, that's a team that's still kind of rebuilding and he, he's a younger piece that could still be a picture or, or a part of that. I think with Vucevic, um, I would expect him to look for more years than, you know, a two year deal or anything like that. And the big reason for that would be because he's what, 32 right now, 33. I can't remember, but it, it, you know, he's, he's getting up there in age and the idea of this potentially being his last big contract is like a real thing. So I could definitely see him wanting three years, 
Uh, I don't think he'll get, you know, four, but I could definitely see him hoping to get about a three-year deal. Um, maybe that third year, I don't know if it's going to be partially guaranteed, whatever it may be. But, and, and the tough thing for the Bulls right now is they had all this time to extend them and they can technically extend them today, I believe if they wanted to, but they have chose not to extend him uh, up until this point. And, you know, the risk you take when you do that is that the player will have a better year than they did in the previous season. And that's what we're seeing right now. Vucevic is having a very good year and it's underrated in a lot of ways to fans. However, I actually think that it's probably not underrated to front offices and people around the league. So I, I'm sure that teams view him as, you know, an asset this off season, uh, especially his offensive capabilities and especially teams that maybe have, We've seen it with Lonzo and Alex Crusoe. If you have good perimeter defense, you can make do with Vooch as your as your center, and, and your defense can still be a top ten center in the NBA or a top ten defense in the NBA. So, you know, Vucevic has, has always gotten knocked for his defense, but he's actually knows how to be in the right place at the right time. He's just not he doesn't have a lot of verticality. He's not very athletic. So when you don't have that first line of defense, a lot of his weaknesses are exposed. And Anyway, that goes that's going off on a tangent. When it comes to his his value, I think it's it's gone up quite a bit this year. And that's bad news from the Bulls for the perspective that he can ask for a lot more money and he's justified to ask for a lot more money. Do I think that he'll be asking for the 20 million roughly that he's been making uh, the past handful of years? Probably not. But, you know, could he be asking for 17 a year, you know? I I maybe he's been, he's a two-time All-Star. Could he be asking for you know, 18 a year. It's, it's just, it's going to be interesting. I, it's hard for me to throw out numbers right now. Cause a lot of it also depends on what the rest of the market looks like. And I haven't done enough looking at, uh, I mean, there's some good centers on the, on the market this, this summer, but um, yeah, I, I think he'll ask for a longer deal, maybe or, or less money than Turner, but maybe more years because he wants the security. And it's going to be interesting to see how the bulls handle it, because if they don't trade him tomorrow, uh, their best option is probably to resign him because you don't want to lose the asset for nothing. And I know it was mentioned earlier, like the idea of what they traded for him. I actually don't think that should matter all that much right now. It's like what you traded for him, move that aside. All that matters is the asset that's here and now, and he's still a very talented player and you don't want to lose that player for absolutely nothing and see him walk. So you sign him, and then hopefully it's a friendly enough deal where if you need to trade them, uh, you know, a year from then, you can still do that. So we we have a little Bulls chatter going on right now, just minutes after we started recording this. Um, off the heels of this trade that occurred with the Lakers, Timberwolves, and Jazz, that trade, of course, sent D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley to the Lakers, Mike Conley Jr. to the Timberwolves, Russell Westbrook, and a protected first-round pick to the Utah Jazz, it's believed that Russell Westbrook is likely going to be bought out by the Jazz. And now Chris Haynes is reporting that the Bulls are interested in signing Russell Westbrook should he secure a buyout with the Utah Jazz. So with that fresh news kind of dropping there, um, I guess I'll start with you, Elias, and then I'll swing it over to Drew. How are we feeling about this, guys? Because, I mean, let's get nuts, I guess. I mean, thoughts of lies. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So yeah, obviously this is coming across my, uh, my, my desk right now as well. And so I'm trying to process in real time. I, when writing the article on uh, the article that we, that on, on Bleacher Nation that we just published on this uh, Lakers trade, I did comment on this possibility. And uh, I mentioned that I didn't think that it was a good idea. And <laughs> the primary reason for that is because I just think Westbrook is an awful fit for what this team needs. And, you know, it's not no dis discredit to, uh, to him and, you know, the player that, that he is today. I guess maybe if he sticks on that, uh, I don't know, if he sticks in the six-man role. But, you know, he's another high-usage player. He's a downhill player. He does not help your spacing whatsoever. And this is one of the least adequate three-point shooting teams in the NBA. And, uh, yes, he can help with your facilitating, I guess, and distributing the basketball. But it's hard for me to see where a fit is easy and, and makes a lot of sense here. And also, let's not forget that, Things are going to have to happen for them to have to, to have the room and the space to be able to uh, sign him as a free agent uh, if he were to be bought out. 
So there's there's a lot of steps that would need to happen for this to actually come to fruition. But uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Billy Donovan, right, coached him for years. I'm sure that they were still close. And the Bulls need a point guard. Is Russell Westbrook that point guard? <laughs> I uh, I have big questions about that. I'm not sure that he's the right guy. Yeah, um, again, we're all kind of just processing this in real time. Really close to hating the idea of Russell Westbrook on the Bulls. The only reason I'm not all the way in on hating it is because his style of play. And I feel like with Russell, you know he's going to be playing hard from the minute he steps on the court to the time he checks back out and goes to the bench. If for only that reason, my mind is open to the idea. You know, we've seen this Bulls team kind of fluctuate in terms of, I don't want to say effort, but just the maybe the intensity or the, or the sense of urgency that they play with. So only from that standpoint am I looking like this would make sense for them. But like you said, if if this deal is made and the Rosen is still on this team, I don't see a world where those two can be on the court at the same time. That would be <laughs> just just criminal, I think. Um, yeah, man. I, I'm I'm not I'm not too too sold on the idea of uh, Mr. Westbrook reunion uh, reuniting with Billy Donovan on this one. You know, Elias, you hinted to this with you know, you'd have to like make some type of move to kind of even make this work cap wise. And Casey Johnson's even saying that now uh, he just tweeted bulls would need to execute an uneven trade by tomorrow's deadline or wave a player to get in this race. And I mean, could there be another lingering move coming? Like you ship DeMar DeRozan out of town and maybe have this kind of work where you can maybe add a guy like a Russell Westbrook. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of still, stunned by the fact that they're even being rumored in this like i right. i just don't yeah. see the fit at all like i'm right it's yeah. it's it's but also at the end of the day right we talk about fit like the bulls have proven that they don't care about what we think is or have these preconceived notions of fit they just don't seem to care because we didn't know if uh, Levine and Demar would go well together. You know, like there's questions about that. There's been questions about this trio's capabilities on the defensive end, and and why and 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 people wondering whether they should keep them together. Yet they seem to be sticking to continuity. So this idea of fit is something that they, I guess, don't seem to care about all that much. So if, from that standpoint, I guess I can understand them looking at it. But and you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like we're all processing this in real time. Like you sign them through the remainder of the year and you just see what happens. Like you're the 10th seed and are you the ninth seed right now in the, in the East? Like what's the worst that can happen if, especially if the team is already choosing not to tank or like go for the pick, which a lot of people think they should, it's clear they're not going to go in that direction. So, you know, maybe you just, you just sign Russ, I guess, for the remainder of the year and you see what happens. Like, is that all that different than just riding things out normally? Maybe not, but yeah, I don't know. It's confusing. It's it's definitely confusing to me. I don't understand where they see the fit working out. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like that clip that people always share from like Arrested Development, right? Like where uh, you know, he's sitting there and and uh did what David Cross's character is like, it never works for anybody, blah, 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 but like maybe it'll work for us. And I, I, and that's what Russell Westbrook has been the past couple of years. We've seen how many teams he's been on. He's hopped around on. You always find these teams that are like, it never works for them, but maybe it'll work for us. And it's not going to work for the Bulls. It won't. Even if Billy Donovan has coached him for a long time, uh, even if they need help at point guard, I just don't see a world where like the fit makes sense long-term, but if they're just going, you know, balls to the wall and they're saying this year, we're going to do whatever we can to get to the playoffs. Like, I guess you could do a couple months of it, but it's it's definitely confusing. Yeah, Matt circa 2017 would be thrilled right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Elias, if if the Bulls, you know, don't go swinging for the fences um, between now and what is it, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time Thursday? Yeah. What marginal moves or improvements? are you kind of looking at them making? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely hard, you know, because they don't have those mid-level contracts that you kind of need to trade to be able to get, um, you know, guys that 
uh, I don't know those those marginal role players that you're talking about. You can you could maybe put some guys together. Like what if you trade Dragic and Drummond together? What if you? I mean, Kobe White is definitely a good contract to be able to do that and acquire somebody. Um, you know, I guess. Let's see who else is on there. I mean, I mean, Caruso, obviously it w- would be somebody that would be helpful, but like, you don't, that's, if you're planning to win, he's not a guy that you want to trade. I mean, in the big, the motive with trading him would be to get dr- probably draft capital back and some young talent, but marginally, if they were going to look to add anybody, um, you know, it has to be shooting for sure. Like the fact that this team has not added uh, shooting, and they didn't add it during the off season was just mind boggling to me and incredibly frustrating. Uh, I don't understand how the front office and, and, and honestly, they said it heading into this off season that they needed to do that. And uh, they didn't. So they would need to pursue some sort of uh, some sort of shooting. And, you know, I could see them pursuing guard help. That's been rumored that they were looking to add uh, adding maybe some, you know, a little bit more of a true facilitator. There's not many on the market right now. So I think that would be hard to do. And yeah, so marginally it's hard because they, they just don't have the pieces to really make a good deal work. And then they don't really have the draft capital capital either. I've mentioned that guys like, you know, Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson on the Spurs, those are two um, three-point shooters. Richardson, theoretically a uh, good defensive player as well. But those are two above, you know, 40% three-point shooters that maybe you can add at a relatively cheap price that I've always thought could be good gets. Uh, you know, they do they really push the, you know, move the needle for you? Maybe not, but they also are players that probably would have a greater impact on this team because of the lack of three-point shooting than they would on a lot of other teams. So those are two guys I've always thought about. Um you know, other names uh, that I, I, I've always been interested in that have been on the market, like a guy like Alec Burks, same thing, three-point shooting in the Pistons, kind of a, a relatively cheap guy. His contract's pretty nice, too, because he's, a, I believe he's a player option for next year, so that could be nice to have someone like him. Uh, Gary Harris on the Magic, I've always been a little bit interested in. And um, P.J. Washington, if the Hornets were, were to deal him, you know, as a as a – as a guy would be nice with Pat there, the fits a little bit strange, but I've always, I've always liked him. There there's guys out there that could potentially work, but uh, yeah, it is hard to really, you know, pinpoint what, what this team can go out and get if they're not willing to at least move one of the big pieces. If you move one of the big pieces, then you kind of open up a door to a lot of different possibilities and maybe adding a lot of different interesting role players. You know, you mentioned like the, the movement of the big three. If, if you were in Acme shoes, Elias, how would you feel about moving one or two of the big three? I have a feeling that you'd be okay with that, but specifically, which one would you want to move to try to recoup some capital if you could? Yeah, I would. Oh, it's a good question. I mean, I definitely would be open to to doing it. And and to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have said this at the beginning of the season, right? It's not like I was always out on this core. It's been... I, I like to, I like to think I'm pretty, uh, you know, realistic and balanced and, and take things as they come and, and just kind of be transparent about how I'm thinking. And, and, you know, I was pretty bought in at least to what this team was trying to do. And, um, and this season that's, that's definitely drifted. I, I, I don't think that this is a, a trio that they can continue, even though I like each player individually, I just don't think that the, it, it makes sense. So for me, I'd probably first look to move Vucevic uh, only because of the fact that the contract is coming up and you don't want to get into a situation where he is, you're paying him more than you feel comfortable paying for him. So if there's a world where a contending team is interested in him, or even, you know, a non-contending team, but they give you some interesting assets back, like he'd be the first guy that I would consider moving. Um, Especially because if we look at centers, in the NBA today, uh, a lot of teams get by with relatively cheap centers, you know, and just some decent shot blockers and, and and guys like that. Like, I'm not saying you don't want to invest in that position necessarily, but it's probably the least important position in, in today's NBA almost, you know, like you could have a lot of people play small ball. uh, A lot of people have, you know, great defensive wings. Like it's all about wing play, guard play, three point shooting, that kind of thing. So for that reason, I just think investing further in a center makes um, 
you know, the least sense if the price isn't what you want it to be. So Vucevic is the first player I, I would consider um, uh, trading. And like I said, I hope they take at least some calls. And then probably DeRozan after that, uh, for the reasons that have been mentioned earlier, you know, by you guys, like with DeMar, I just think that, uh, you know, he's somebody that maybe his fit doesn't make a ton of sense on how this team is at least trying to play and wants to play moving forward. And he's up for a contract extension. And I think he would get you the most in return right now out of anybody on this team. And then after that, I would consider Zach. But um, Zach, I just think, is young enough and still his value can go up where you want to you want to pause on that. But if I had to pick, you know, I would go the route of moving one of the guys right now just because, you know, you don't you don't need to go all out if you don't want. You could I, I you could they can try to just retool for next year. So in that case, I try to retool around Levine and DeRozan and you move Vucevic. But if they wanted to get really frisky <laughs> and really try to do things, uh, moving Vucevic and DeRozan could probably get them like quite a quite a solid return. And I wouldn't be completely against it, even though I've enjoyed both of their stays in, uh, you know, in Chicago so far. Not maybe as from a production standpoint on the team, but I've enjoyed watching each of them individually. Oh yeah, no, I think you know if you. You get all of Bulls Nation in a in a room and with some truth serum. I think you know it's 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 been quite a ride. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. some high highs and some very low lows. Uh, but I think it's been more entertaining than not. Um, on that topic, much to the consternation of Bulls fans, Arturus Karnasovas has not addressed the media since the preseason. But I think it's safe to assume that he will do so after tomorrow's deadline, what are your expectations for what he may or may not say? Again, we don't know what moves are going to be made or not, but just going into it, knowing that we haven't heard from him um, as this season has kind of drudged along, what are you thinking or what are your expectations for the press conference tomorrow? Yeah, I I don't know, man. I mean, I think – I, I'm crossing my fingers that they, you know, that the reporters in, in attendance, uh, you know, will push. I, I used to be, you know, like I used to be more of the, the traditional side of, of things, uh, like being the guy, you know, in the locker room, being the reporter and things like that. That's not who uh, I am today. Um, you know, I know a lot of the people or I know, you know, a few of the people who, who cover the team and everything like that. And, you know, I just know at times like these uh, from past experience, you know, you have to push and you got to like just keep reiterating and keep asking questions. And I think sometimes on the outside, it can look a little bit, um, you know, reporters sometimes on the outside can get a bad rap or, you know, people don't like when they keep uh, pushing with certain questions or you see reporters keep asking the same question, different reporters asking the same questions. A lot of times there's a reason for that and it's because they're not getting, you know, they know that they're not getting a real truthful answer or they're not getting, um, you know, they're getting kind of more of the scripted answer and, and they're hoping to kind of break through that seal and get something. And and I hope tomorrow that if there's nothing done, that that's something that we see the uh, the guys do because, uh, you know, it's it's been it's been the fact that they're this quiet, I get wanting to work in silence, right? Like I understand there's an idea of the, there's this, this idea of like, we're the mysterious front office. Sometimes we, you know, we move in silence and we make these big moves, but it's hard to know right now. Is that what they're trying to do strategically? Or is this just a lack of motivation and a lack of action and, and a stubbornness to stick to what they've done? So there needs to be uh, questions pushed about what the future of this team looks like because they're underachieving. Uh, I wouldn't at all mind for them to just mention again, like, hey, you guys said this exact quote, which I, I shared on Twitter earlier in the offseason. And I've noticed a lot of other people have started to share it too, which is good. But I, I was kind of the first to throw it out there where Arturis said over the offseason, like, hey, expectation is to improve. Anything short of that is like a failure. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but anything short of that's a failure. We need to improve on last season. Um, we need to take a step in the right direction and, and you know, go to the second round of the playoffs, win more games, all that kind of stuff. And the fact that they're not on pace to do that and there doesn't seem, and if they do nothing about it, then you need to, you need to say, well, you're not following up on your word. And what's the plan now? What's the plan to to proceed with that? So I expect them to probably come in and if they don't do a lot of, if they don't do a lot of movement, come in and just kind of stick to their guns and stick to their continuity and keep saying, we believe in this core and, 
we think that time will heal all, but I'm not going to buy that. And <laughs> I understand why they might be saying it, but I'm not going to buy it. And if they make a big move on the other hand, or they shuffle things up, then I try, I, I would buy a little bit more into the idea of like, okay, they, they believe that, you know, what they were building wasn't correct because the actions speak louder than words, but if they don't do anything and it's just words, um, you know, you got to try to push for some sort of direction because, uh, it seems like there's a lack of one right now. It's frustrating just hearing that because as I kind of talked about earlier, this was a front office that surprised us. You know, they, they had that early flurry of moves in 2021 in at the deadline in the off season. And I guess it's just been a big thud since they lost in the first round to the Milwaukee Bucks. And seeing this kind of inaction is, I think, just, kind of taken at least me by surprise and i i know bulls nation it's you can tell it's starting to wear thin already and if you had told me that or even i think the three of us if, if you had told us this was going to be the case right now that the bulls would be in this position i don't think i would have believed it yeah i mean it's it's uh it's tough i i, I think that the you know, there's a world where I could have bought into it because it's kind of similar to what we saw from like the Knicks a couple years ago where, you know, they were great one year and then the next year, like last year, they took a big step backward and basically missed the playoffs. And, um, and, you know, I think I do, I see, I thought the bulls on paper were better than that team, but still it was like, you buy, you know, you kind of invest in a lot of veteran talent only to get so far. And that's what we've seen the bulls do. And now the question is, well, the bulls do, you know what the Dick, the, the what the what the Knicks did, and add more, uh, you know, and add uh, add someone like you know, like they added someone like Jalen Brunson, like they go and they shuffle the cards and and they add a big player. It's like, all right, now it's the Bulls' time to do that because if you believe that you want to stay competitive and you have some pieces that can work here, then you need to shuffle things up and you need to try to, uh, you know, maybe you trade one of those guys for a bunch of assets and then you you know, you, you try to sign somebody or trade for somebody else. Like you just need to start doing things to show that you can, you can stay competitive because yeah, I mean, what you're doing right now, the, the, the results are, are telling. I think I wrote the post earlier today. It's like the bulls seem to be basing everything that they want to do right now on hope. And this is a results-based industry. If you're a rebuilding team, it's different. Maybe you can base some things off hope but this is not a rebuilding team. This is a team that was supposed to be in the playoffs and, and they're, they're judging everything off and their decision-making off hoping that they can return to that, but you need to judge your decision-making off results. And since the all-star break last season, I believe they're 34 and 43. So that tells you who you are, you know, that's, that's, that's who you are. And that's not going to change just with time. Yeah, that's, that's very well put. Now, that being said, what is your prediction for, what they're going to do between now and tomorrow? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> if I had to say, I'll give you two predictions. One is like my, one's my brain. I'll give you my brain's prediction and then I'll give you my heart's prediction. Sweet. My brain, <laughs> my brain's prediction is that they don't really do anything. I think they make one deal. You know, they may, I can't tell you who they're going to acquire, but maybe you see someone like Drummond or Kobe go out. And at this point, I actually think they're going to keep Kobe and just head towards unrestricted or head towards restricted free agency and see what happens. But I think they won't make one marginal move, um, you know, for someone relatively cheap, probably a shooter, something like that. Maybe a guard, uh, maybe a guard who can shoot. I don't know. That would be like my my brain telling me that's what they're going to do. And the move is not going to be anything like too sexy. Um, maybe it helps them, you know, lock in that planned tournament seed. But that's it. My heart tells me that they'll uh, surprise us with like a big, you know, like, like, like at least one big move. Maybe that's Vucevic. Maybe even that's Caruso. I'm not someone who thinks they will trade Caruso, but you know, I think if anyone on this team is going to get like a holy crap offer tomorrow at the last second, it'll probably be for Caruso. It'll be a team like the Warriors. It'll be a team, maybe even like the Knicks, like somebody could throw out like that. Oh my God offer. And if there is going to be a shock, like our jaw drops, it'll probably be either Vucevic going somewhere for more than we expected or Caruso going somewhere for more than we expected. But I'm going to say my brain is probably right on this one. And 
uh, and my heart is not. Yeah, I think you're, man, that was a great point you just brought up about Caruso because I think he is the most plug and play ready player that the Bulls have on the roster in terms of, you know, a guy that's not making a lot of money and can fit in with these teams who are still in contention and, you know, seriously gunning for a championship. Um, so I definitely see where you're coming from on, on the Caruso point of view. Yeah. And he's definitely the type of guy that like does get moved just randomly shockingly at a deadline like this, because like we said, somebody, you know, just comes in with the, like this contender's desperate and they just give up like a crap ton to be able to add him. And, you know, they'd be smart in doing so because he's a great player, but um, he's the type of guy that you're like, that, that a team just finally goes, okay, fine, screw it. We think he changes our chances, you know, of, of, of winning a, you know, of winning a championship that much that we're just going to do it. So I can see it a world where it happens. Uh, I don't think it's, I wouldn't call it likely, but I would call it more likely than seeing a world where, you know, DeMar or Levine or anybody like that's traded. Do we think it's that bold prediction that we've heard from a couple reporters of two first round picks? Yeah, probably. I mean, I would say it could, you know, it could be like a first round and it could be, it could be like a first rounder unprotected and then like a good young player, you know, like I can see, like if it's the Warriors, for, oh, I, like what if the Warriors do throw Wiseman into the picture? Like I understand that Wiseman people are a little nervous of right now, but that's still a super young former number two overall pick and the Bulls need a center of the future. So if they're, if they're throwing Wiseman into consideration and draft capital, like a first Wiseman and then, I don't know, like just, you know, I don't, I have to go look at it, but like, that's a deal you have to consider at least. So, or maybe what if they're throwing Moody into it or, or, you know, if Kuminga's in it, you for sure have to consider it. But if it's like Wiseman and Moody, yeah, like that's, that's, you got to think about it at least. Recouping, I feel like he's recouping one first round pick. I would happily drop Alex Crusoe off at O'Hare airport. Like I wouldn't (laughs) think twice. Well, and I just think it's, you know, I, I love watching him play and I do think he's the epitome of like a winning role player, but um, you know, if he can get you somebody who helps a lot in the future, it's hard not to just, just, I don't know. It's hard not to consider it at least a little bit. You have to, you have to think about it. And I do think a team like the Warriors would make sense to just swoop in with last second. And I would gladly take, you know, some Warriors first rounders in the, you know, a 2020, I think they'll, I don't know. I don't remember. I wrote this, I wrote this earlier this year, so you could probably go find it on Bleacher Nation somewhere, but um, the Warriors could trade, I think, 2026, 2027, whatever those picks are, I'll take them because, you know, the, the, that that team is great right now, but that's another one that four, three, you know, three, four years from now, you don't know what that what that's going to look like, and they could be in rebuild mode, and, and I would gladly take those picks. Elias, before we spring you loose real quick, where can the people find your work, and how can they follow you on Twitter? Yeah, so you can find uh, everything I write. I'm writing every day, probably like three posts a day uh, at minimum uh, over at Bleacher Nation, uh, specifically Bleacher Nation Bulls. The Bulls tab is where all my work is. But Bleacher Nation in general, uh, just go to BleacherNation.com. Lots of good Chicago sports content if you're into that kind of thing. We've also recently expanded to covering the NFL as a whole and uh, and you know, in the future, there might be more, more leagues as a whole are, are probably coming. So uh, you can go to bleachernation.com or follow us at BN underscore bulls on Twitter. Uh, as for myself, you can follow me on Twitter at Schuster underscore Elias. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's the plug. There you go. Awesome. Well, Elias, thanks again for coming on and yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow with the Chicago bulls. We'll see. I'm excited. I, 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 I'm expecting little, but then that will just make me that much more excited if something cool happens, right? So that's how we should all approach it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Elias. Thank you, guys. Have a a good one. How about that with the Westbrook shit? (laughs) (laughs) That was crazy, man. I I mean, I can't believe that – you know, that, that kind of happened in real time. I, I don't think I've ever hap- had that happen through, during any podcast I've recorded. I definitely haven't. <laughs> I definitely haven't. <laughs> well, and it's not like he's coming here, but just even the, the rumblings around it is uh, is crazy. And been kind of paying attention to Twitter in the background while we were talking with Elias. And, you know, Mark Chanowski's basically saying, like, don't believe it. The Bulls don't want to go over the text. There's no way it can be done. But 
this kind of gets me thinking, are the Bulls on the maybe the fringe of making some other type of move that is even making them think about this? Because, look, Chris Haynes has gotten some interesting nuggets in, in recent years. In fact, I think he had the DeMar DeRozan news regarding the Chicago Bulls. So I don't know. He's a reliable NBA reporter. So if he's saying that, I mean, there's got to be some weight to it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But I think maybe like everybody else, um, as we're reacting to this real time here on on Wednesday, just trying to figure out how this would even work, how, what the what a, what the money, what the financials would look like. Again, Russell Westbrook has been a great player for a long time, but he has certain weaknesses that, you know, just kind of sink your team and. One of the two things that Bulls fans have been talking about since last season is the need for this team to get more shooting. And that's one of Westbrook's biggest flaws. So if this were to happen in a vacuum, because we don't know what other deals would be would be made or what else would happen with the roster, it just feels kind of in that same vein of Acme picking up Drummond and Drogic in the offseason where it's guys who can help you to a to a point but not necessarily in the areas that you needed the most yeah it, it's that whole thing that like elias is bringing up that you kind of notice the the game plan here seems to be like acquire as many talented pieces individually as you can and just kind of hope it all meshes like that just <laughs> magically it'll all come together the only way that i could see it working and kind of like to your point like you're saying in a vacuum it doesn't work only way that i could see it working is if you ship DeMar DeRozan out of town and recoup just a bunch of draft capital and other types of players that work on the margins where if you do bring in Russell Westbrook, then there's more, you know, complimentary assets in that case. It would really suck for Patrick Williams though. I mean, we are talking about, you know, freeing up somebody in the big three to get him maybe some more touches and, and that would do the exact opposite if then you go bring in Russell Westbrook. Yeah, only thing I say is that Westbrook is still a pretty good facilitator. Like he's it's really true. good at getting downhill and getting to the rim. So in in a sense, he could help in terms of um the ability for the Bulls to, you know, drive and, and kick. You know, we've been banging on and screaming about the lack of three-point shooting. Um, so in that sense, he would theoretically help because he, he can draw um, an extra defender and, and maybe give Zach Levine or Patrick Williams or Kobe White if he's still here. Um, he can give those guys more open looks. But again, it's just, what's the end game? You know, it, like you said, it would seem more of a move where maybe they are taking a step or two or three back um, to go to go forward again, maybe next season. Yeah, and the other thing too to keep in mind that there are some waivable players on the Bulls. I mean, but you have Marco. Um, and that that probably would be an interesting candidate there. I mean, there's there's players that could be waived on the roster. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. It just it's yeah. It, this was a, I think a shocker for me. Like I've seen some folks in Bulls Nation. My guy, uh, Michael Walton um, from Bulls Confidential, I know has always been a supporter of bringing in Russell Westbrook for a long time. And someone who even just kind of, I think he just embraces it now, even as just a, a joke. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I did not see this kind of even being a thing tonight. Actually, it was kind of funny, Drew. I first saw a tweet from Chris Mannix kind of just talking about this and I, I kind of shook it off once Chris Haynes tweeted it out then I'm like okay I, I, we gotta probably talk about it but oh yeah I, I just wasn't expecting this conversation tonight um yeah it, it was uh... <laughs> real quick I before we wrap up like we've done our usual predictions our game by game until we hop on the following week but just given that we don't know how the roster is going to look I, I think tonight how about for our prediction talk about what we're predicting to happen at tomorrow's trade deadline. So Drew, what's your prediction uh, when it's all said and done at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central for the Chicago Bulls? Um, I'm going to say 
They stand pat. Ooh. Like completely pat or they make some margin moves and, and your usual core is safe or no moves at all? I'm almost afraid to say no moves at all because I think that there would be some death threats sent out to you-know-who um, or you-know-who's, plural. Um, and I say it jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but, man, if they weren't getting – the deals they wanted to to hear or the offers they wanted to hear for Kobe White previously. I just I don't know, man. You talk about the guys who are who are the most likely to be traded. I like what Elias said about Alice Caruso. I thought that made sense, but their their price tag just seems to be so high. Oh man. I'ma just say they stand pat, man. Just Zero moves, and maybe they look at the buyout market. And well, I think, and I think part of the motivation there would be, again, to kind of stay under that tax. So mm. maybe some of that is coming from above again. And then maybe they look to do what they can in the off season. I'm not saying that's what they should do or that that's the smart thing to do, but just given how quiet it's been in the reports that we've heard from guys like Casey Johnson and Joe Cowley, man. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's going to be fairly quiet. I have a feeling a move will happen. I, I think like the Alex Caruso rumbling is where I think something's going to occur. Um, I don't know if it's going to be exactly like, and it could be a role player like that. Like I don't want it to be Io Dusumu, but could be him, could be Kobe White. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those guys. And I, I feel like with the Caruso move or the Caruso rumblings, you know, we heard about the two first round picks and they'd have to be blown away. Maybe they're just kind of throwing that out there and, and seeing if teams kind of come back and say, well, you know, we can't do two first, but what about a first and this piece, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of as Elias was saying, like somebody that's a, you know, a young shooter or somebody like that maybe to kind of still supplement the current roster and trying to make them competitive while still recouping some type of draft capital. I'm with him. If the Warriors come calling, and I know we talked about the Wiseman trade last week. I actually, it's starting to grow on me a little bit, just given the draft capital you could get from the Warriors. And that kind of crossed my mind, believe it or not, while I was on my my honeymoon. I know that's terrible. But at one point I was just thinking about it. I'm like, you know, if they end up making that trade and get a pick that conveys a few years down the road, that could be a, a scenario where the, the Warriors core is retired or over the hill at that point. And that could be a very juicy pick, even if you have to take Wiseman in return. So I might be open to a move like that. So I, I do think something's going to, happen. I just don't think it's going to be the seismic move that a lot of us really, really want. Um, as we've been talking on this, you know, we've basically been a trade deadline podcast probably since January. Yeah, so man, we have, we have, man. It's just the way the season is gone, man. <laughs> yeah. And and we've been talking about trading one of the big three heck, I think even since Christmas time. So mm-hmm. you know, we'd all love to see it. I just I'm with you. I don't think it's actually going to happen it's kind of a shame because i think you could do two things at once i think you can stay somewhat competitive and interesting while trying to preserve yourself for you know the future and and trying to get some more capital to be an even better team potentially down the road yeah it's a tough uh needle to thread though um for sure and Man, it just kind of just speaks to this season in general. You know, not only have the Bulls been mediocre, but they've been so stuck in the middle that I think we talked about this before, that Acme pretty much has some justification to do whatever they want to do with this team, whether they wanted to blow it up or they wanted to keep together, keep it together. There's, there's, there's a there's a probable cause for them to do so because this team has shown flashes um, of what it can do when it plays up to its potential. And then you have that flip side where, you know, they lose games to teams who are missing 
one or two of their best players um, or the teams that are coming off losing eight of their last nine games. You know, it's it's just where this season has gone, unfortunately. Yeah. And like I said in, earlier in the episode with Elias, it, it, it's odd because I if you had told me that we would be in this situation at the end of last season, I don't know if I would have believed it. And he brought up the Knicks comparison. I guess maybe that could be a, a, a saving grace. Even if they don't get through the deadline and make any major moves, I mean, maybe the offseason is where they, they do their damage. Maybe they they pull off sign and trade with Vooch. Maybe they pull off some type of move with DeRozan in the summer. You know, maybe those upgrades happen in the offseason, not necessarily at the trade deadline, which you know, makes this fe- season feel like a lost cause, but it's it's possible. It's possible things can still get better I'm, I'm trying to stay positive i'm trying to be like drew stay positive <laughs> um i mean it's, it's uh <laughs> i try to i try to this, this team at different points in the season has has really kind of forced me to take a step back and kind of look at things from a broader a broader point of view but um like you said things don't have to stay bad they don't or you know mediocre like there can be some change. I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll have a better idea of what it is moving forward um, after two o'clock Central Standard Time Thursday. Mm-hmm. Well, I just know one thing that I am really looking forward to that Arturis Karnaschova's press conference. And you asked about that. Um, I think that I think the Chicago media is going to come out swinging because there's been a lot of questions from the fan base, from the media. And I'm chomping at the bit to know uh, how Arturis Karnaschovas is going to reply to some of those questions. Like I have a feeling Joe Colley's coming with, with a barbed wire baseball bat. <laughs> I mean, you I, sense I, I, it. Yeah. And I think a lot of fans, you know, he, I think he, um, he gets a bad rap, I think in, in some, some people's heads. Uh, but I think he for sure holds, people more accountable or looks to do that more so than maybe any other reporter on the Bulls beat. And if he does so tomorrow, which I think it's a good chance he does, I think we'll all be better for it just because we, we want to know where Acme's head is at and what they think about how the season has gone and, you know, what they've thought about Lonzo Ball's rehab and what's going on with that and the delays and, you know, yeah. if if the idea of continuity was kind of a, you know, built on saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, you bring up a good point there because it's not just the questions about continuity and how this season has gone because of you know where the record is right now. But even everything going on with Lonzo Ball or Billy Donovan. And I know, look, Billy Donovan is, is catching a lot of fire right now. And for good reason. I think he deserves some of it. But him having to address the organization's questions night in and night out, especially when it comes to the issues happening right now with the roster and everything going on with Lonzo Ball, I think that's what's kind of ticked me off the most when it's come to the radio silence from Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley. Because that itself, I think, has deserved some some comments from them. And... You know, hey, if you want to operate in silence so you can gain some quote unquote competitive advantage, fine. But at least address what's going on with Lonzo Ball. At the very least, they could have been out in front of it and and talking at least a little bit about what's going on or at least commenting. Um, The fact that they've remained quiet this whole time is has been a little shocking and kind of upsetting. Yeah, um, I think that's why. We can all look forward to hearing from him tomorrow, um, whether it's him or I got to assume it's going to be Karnasovas, but um, there's a lot of things that, you know, I'm interested in in hearing his opinion on. So interesting times, maybe not good times, but interesting times at least. That's true. They are interesting. And at least that's the the beautiful thing about the NBA trade deadline. You'll definitely stay captivated during all of that. Please give us a follow at rebuild underscore a underscore bull. You can actually find all the latest episodes 
Um, and we'll be probably retweeting some of the news that's breaking uh, throughout the trade deadline day, and especially what involves the Bulls. You can also find at the Rebuildable handle uh, the list that we were referring to, um, Drew's list and mine of the uh, most expendable Bulls. And uh, also Elias tweeted from the Bleacher Nation Bulls account. It's actually part of that thread. You'll see his list that he talked about today too. So go ahead and check that out and feel free to, to comment as we get closer to the deadline. You can follow Drew and I on Twitter. I'm at mgentile 88 Drew is at look what Drew did. And we'll of course share our thoughts as the, the deadline unfolds and, and much more surrounding the bulls for the rest of the season. Happy trade deadline day, bulls nation, or I guess night before the deadline, whatever. <laughs> Enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of fun. With Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Have a good trade deadline day. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.